Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Hello. Nikki. Hello. Hi, Pete. How, How are, are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very, very well this morning. I'm having a, a fine morning. It's a little bit earlier than we normally record, but it is for good reason. We have a very, very special guest that we, uh, we've we been looking forward to talking to. I think it's fair to say for years. Uh, before we head into our guest conversation, however, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list, and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. You can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD. And if this show has ever touched you, if it's ever helped you make a change in your life for the better, if you found that you understand your relationship with ADHD in a new way, we invite you to consider supporting the show directly through Patreon. Patreon is listener-supported podcasting. If you were a patron right now, you would be watching this podcast as a live stream, and you'd already know who our fantastic guest is. How's that for spoiler alert? Uh, with a, just a few dollars a month, you can help guarantee that we continue to grow the show, add new features, and invest more heavily in our community. Visit patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast to learn more. Link in the show notes. Okay, Nikki, let us find our zen. I know, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm not a little lying. starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, right. I'm not lying to say that I'm I'm fanboying a little bit about our mm -hmm. guest today. For many of us, our relationship with our guest started with his best-selling 1994 book, Driven to Distraction. I get the chills just saying that. Uh, he's the author of 20 books on various psychological topics, in fact, and he is a highly regarded international speaker on ADHD, Focus, Productivity, and Beyond. He's the founder of the Hallowell Centers and has been featured on 2020, 60 Minutes, Oprah, and all of that practice has made him a terrific host of his own podcast, Distraction, which focuses on, you guessed it, the struggles and distractions of this amped-up world. Dr. Ned Hallowell. Welcome to the ADHD podcast. It's so nice to be with you, and thank you for that really kind and generous introduction. Uh, it comes with exactly that much warmth. We are uh, uh, so gratified at your name. I, if if our podcast was a, a drinking game with mentions of Driven to Distraction and your name, we would all be soused. Uh, <laughs> I think we even you're a said, frequent ghost. I think even a few years ago, I, I think we even said in one of the episodes, that would be fantastic if we could get him on the show. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Here you well, are. All you had to do was call, and here I am. <laughs> I Turns out it was much easier than we made I it out to me. If I had known that, you would have been on here a long time ago. <laughs> I had to get over my own fear of, you know, just stepping out and asking. <laughs> well, it's, it's wonderful. And, and thank you for the great work you do to spread the word about uh, this condition. You know, we really need... Uh, the work is education, you know, the, the knowledge base is there, the science is there now, and, and, and it's really a matter of, of uh, breaking down stigma and uh, raising up awareness so that people realize that if you handle this condition properly, it's, a, it's, a, it's an asset. If you handle it properly, it can take you to the very top in life. But if you don't, it can ruin your life. And, and so that, that's so, it's so a very high stakes poker. It can it can make you or break you, and um, and that's why it's really important to to take it seriously and 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 
cash in on the upside and and don't let the downside uh, ruin you. Well, I'm glad that you say that because I know that with a lot of the clients that I work with, because I'm an ADHD coach as well as a podcaster. So uh, a lot of the, the clients that I work with, they tend to focus a little bit more on that downside when they first come to see me, mm-hmm. you know, because they're a little bit, um, well, they're, you know, they're, they're, stressed, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're frustrated. Yeah yeah. 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 And it definitely takes a toll on their self-esteem. And so when I was thinking about, gosh, what, what do I want to talk to Dr. Hollowell about? And I think that what came up for me was, was the self-esteem issue because it, it feels like that's where we kind of have to start before you really go into strategies and, you know, it's how you feel about yourself and how you feel about this diagnosis. Right. Um, and I'm curious from you, you know, from your standpoint, how how does ADHD affect self-esteem? Well, and, until you get some successes, it tends to ruin it. I mean, you you typically until you realize what you're dealing with and and build some successes, you you go from failure to failure, frustration to frustration. In school, you underachieve. You get told to try harder and and that doesn't help at all. And in fact, it makes things worse because you're trying as hard as you can and you're getting frustrated. And, and, and so you get all these lectures on trying harder and that doesn't help. And, uh, you know, the longer that goes on, the worse it gets. And, and you begin to think you, you just, you're defective. You, and you're, and if you're, if you get the diagnosis, you're told you have a deficit disorder, which, which, has built into it the deficit, you know, and disorders. So now, oh, great, I've got a deficit disorder, and so, you know, you you you're you're told you are defective, you are, um, and you're defined by this this uh, this this sentence of, of of deficit disorder, and and so self esteem suffers tremendously. And, and, you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to mount any enthusiasm to try much of anything. So, so really the, the reconstruction project, the, the, uh, building a new life, uh, which is what I'm all about trying to show people how to do begins with the good news that if you, if you, if you redefine yourself, uh, you really can, uh, start anew, and it doesn't matter what age, whether it's six years old or sixty years old. You know, you you say, okay, let's rename this condition instead of deficit disorder. Let's say you've got a Ferrari engine for a for a brain. You've got a really powerful, fast, fast brain, but you've got bicycle brakes. So you know you have trouble controlling the energy power of your imagination, and and so. Uh, you've got a superior imagination. You've got a superior mind. You just have trouble controlling it, and that's what ADD is all about. This this whizzing, whirring, powerful brain that that just runs away with itself. And so, and so once you understand that, and then you know, I give people a few examples. David Nealman, who founded JetBlue Airlines, Tim Armstrong, the former CEO of AOL and Yahoo. Uh, Heather Reisman, the CEO of Indigo Books in Canada. And in fact, most entrepreneurs, most people, Thomas Edison was the classic. Uh, Emily Dickinson, our greatest poet, I think was a classic. So the, the, we have many, many thousands, millions of hugely successful people who have it. 
and so there are lots of models you can look to and say, okay, now if, if you shoot in that direction, uh, the sky's the limit. But we, we, have, to, we have to begin to um, uh, make some changes. And, and it begins with realizing that you, you really can uh, do, do superior work, but, but you, you got to start by realizing that you got to build your brakes. You've got to learn how to stop when you need to stop and inhibit when you need to inhibit and focus when you need to focus. And there are many ways of doing that. But it, it begins by realizing that you can do it, but it's not a matter of effort. It's not a matter of trying harder. And the problem does not rely in willpower, character, uh, that kind of thing. It relies in, in changing the way you manage your brain. How do you do that? Well, there are many ways of doing it. The most famous way is using medication, and, and medication, when it works, is hugely successful. It works about 80% of the time. But there are other ways as well. Physical exercise helps, meditation helps, nutritional interventions help, uh, finding the right school or the right job helps a lot, positive human relationships help a lot. I prescribe dogs. Having a dog helps a lot. Positive contact helps a lot. Creating a positive emotional ambience to, to live in helps a lot. Uh, so there are there are many ways other than medication uh, that you you should employ. And and by the way, it's not either or. It's not either medication or non medication. It's always both and. Uh, try pretty, pretty much get a dog first you and then try first. all the other yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Start dog with a dog. First. Whatever Start you with do, dog. get a dog first. Dog makes everything else better. You just said something that, that I, I find, uh, it, it's, it sort of blows my mind, the, that the fact that, that we are, uh, like when I get the flu, I'm not... Uh, you know, I'm I'm not told. You know, Pete, you have influenza. You're a terrible person disorder. Uh, I'm told I have the flu. When I'm told I have ADHD, I'm told I'm deficient as a person. That's that's the limiting belief that I have. Now I've lived with ADHD with the diagnosis of ADHD for almost twenty years, and uh, and and I'll never forget this sort of eye opening moment when. My uh, therapist said we need to talk about ADHD. The the weight that felt at once lifted off of my shoulders that I now now understood what I who I was after all these years, and the weight of shame that lands on my shoulders the next day when I realize, oh my goodness, now I know what all this is all about, and and that's all about. And so I feel like it almost becomes an instinct that comes with the diagnosis to feel that sort of shame. The living the limiting beliefs become the mountain that you sort of have to climb and get to the other side of before you can start to see clearly that you actually have the Ferrari in the garage. Uh, you know, what What does 8 a.m. day one look like for you as you're working with, your, uh, with those that you work with with ADHD to climb that mountain and come down the other side? Well, one, once they understand th there's an explanation for what's going on other than they're being defective, other than they're being lazy or they're being, uh, uh, you know, have, having some kind of deformity, uh, then it's exciting, you know. Then and, and particularly when they realize that that uh, 
there's every reason to believe they they can achieve their dreams, then it's wonderful. And and when you throw in the fact that most of us with this condition are incredibly hardworking, contrary to popular belief, we we are the hardest working people you'll ever find. We don't give up. We are tenacious. We'll we'll just we just don't give up. Uh, so, so the, the outcome is, is gonna, things will get better, almost guaranteed. The only question is how much better. And, uh, uh, so the, my folks, they'll put in the effort and then it's up to me to provide them with the tools. And fortunately I've been doing this a long time. I've got a whole bunch of tools to offer. And, uh, and so, you know, depending on the age, find the right school, find the right job, find the right, uh, soulmate, uh, makes a big difference who you pick for uh, love partner, friendship. Uh, these things matter a lot. I mentioned a dog and I'm very serious about that. Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, human, can I call it the other vitamin C, vitamin connect, uh, the kind of positive connections you make. Uh, it really creates the kind of uh, motor fluid, if you want, the kind of the, the kind of the world that you operate in makes a big difference in the kind of results you'll get. And people with ADD, until they get uh, on the right track, are, are usually operating in a very toxic uh, ambience. You know, they're, they're being put down and, and, they're, and they're putting down themselves. And so they're, they're, they're just, they're driving on square wheels is another analogy I use. It's very hard to drive on square wheels. And so my job is to round out their wheels. And once they get round wheels, oh my gosh, they, go, they get so much more mileage for every unit of effort put in. And like I said, they're willing to put in tremendous effort. And, and, then, and then, they, they then give their imagination, which is enormous, give their imagination, you know, the, the, the round wheels to, to drive thousand miles an hour on, you know, and, and the, and that's when you get these amazing results, and and uh, you know, and then and then avoid the, the. I think the biggest number one pothole on the road is is drugs. So, you know, watch out for addictions, and it's not just drugs; it's all the addictions now: gambling, sex, spending, shopping, screen addiction. Uh, so, you know, we are as a group, we are ten times more likely to suffer from addiction. So, watch out for that. Um, and, and, um, you know, so watch out for the potholes, but, uh, get the round wheels and then speed your way to success with help, with help. Never another one of my main bits of advice is never worry alone. Don't try and do it alone. Big, big. Mm -hmm. I have a question about the connection piece because I also watched, uh, it, it was a video you had or a podcast. I can't remember, but you were talking about, uh, having somebody review your to-do list because oftentimes our expectations are too high. So if you can have somebody else look at it and just see, you know, is this realistic? And the way that you uh, talked about it, you embraced that help so easily. It was just like, this was just a natural thing, you know, for us to do. H however, I also know a lot of clients who are embarrassed to ask for help. They feel like, what if I ask for help and then I let that person down? I'm not able to, to fulfill those expectations. And so they're just not going to ask for help or for whatever reason. So I'm curious to know from, from you, how can we help our listeners get past the embarrassment or shame of asking for help and, and understanding how to embrace it? Well, you know, 
you got to ask for help from the right person, you know, and, and the right person will make it easy. Um, and, and so, you know, that's where coaches can be so helpful and, and, uh, you know, the, the right teacher, the right parent, the right coach, uh, the right assistant, uh, the right partner. Uh, so you, you, it's important who you ask for help from. And um, uh, if you ask for help from a shaming kind of person, that, that can close the door for an awful long time. That's why shaming teachers and partners, you know, do such damage. Uh, that moment of shame can close the door for a year or two. So, so you know, you, you pick carefully. But, uh, uh, you know, asking for help makes you very vulnerable. And so you, you want to be sure that the person you ask for help from will, will welcome your request and realize that you've made yourself vulnerable and, and will say, you know, boy, you, you've taken the first step and we thank you for asking me and I will do everything I can to help you. And, you know, uh, the, the road to success is paved with failure. I mean, it's absolutely paved with mistakes. And you don't make mistakes, you'll, you'll never succeed. And so we expect you to fail. We expect you to fumble. We expect you not to get it right. And, and so we welcome you making mistakes. Please make mistakes. I'm here to help you make mistakes. <laughs> That's how you will succeed, you know. And, and uh, as a writer, believe me, I just, uh, it's all about editing. It's all about fixing my mistakes. And, you know, and, and uh, uh, so, you know, you know, so, you know, you, you want to, you want to accept that and embrace that and, and, um, enjoy messing up so you can clean up, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and then as for, uh, be realistic, you know, don't be realistic, be wildly unrealistic and then, and then see where you end up. I, you, you want to find dream makers, not dream breakers. My friend, John Croyle says that, and I, I love that term, you know, Look for the dream makers and try and stay away from the dream breakers. You know, the dream breakers, they may, they may mean well by being quote-unquote realistic, but I don't think anything great was done by people who were realistic. You know, the, the, the really cool things are unrealistic. And the next thing you know, they happen. I mean, my 12th grade English teacher in September asked me to write a novel. That was not realistic. Twelfth graders don't write novels. But he thought I had some talent. And he said, Ned, why don't you write a novel? And that was completely unrealistic. I thought, what, write a novel? You know, I knew Exeter was a tough school. I didn't know I'd be expected to write a novel. But I was the only kid he asked to do it. And so I took it upon myself to do it. And by the end of the year, I'd done it. Changed my life forever. Because he got me to prove to myself that I could do something that I would have thought was impossible. And that changed my life forever. I mean, by, by, by getting someone to do something they would have thought was impossible, unrealistic, completely unrealistic. And, you know, he took a chance by, by, uh, by kind of, you know, setting it in front of me. Why don't you try this unrealistic thing? You could have said he was setting me up for failure. Well, he was setting me up for failure. And, uh, it, you know, it wasn't an assignment. So, but, but he was setting me up to try something that I very, all the odds were that I wouldn't do it. So setting me up for, to fail. But he was also taking a chance that I would succeed. And the fact that I did succeed, you know, literally changed my life forever. That, that 
achievement over that year in the 12th grade. It changed my life in a tremendous way. And so, you know, you, you take a chance. And uh, if you should happen to succeed in this unrealistic undertaking, it can change you forever. You know, so remember, it's not the succeeding or the failing that really matters. It's staying in the game. You know, there's a great line from the poem If by Kipling that says, if you can look at triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, you know, success and failure are imposters. The real value is staying in the game. Because as long as you're in the game, you're, 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 you're doing what matters. There will always be success and failure, and both of them are imposters. They don't mean nearly what people think they mean. What matters is staying in the game. And, and that's, what, uh, uh, that's what we all, whether you have ADD or not, that's what we all need to remind ourselves of. And that's why never worrying alone is so important. When you worry alone, you tend to overvalue uh, failure. You tend to think it means I'm worthless, I'm nothing. And then you tend to shut down, withdraw, isolate, give up, leave the game. And that's, that's the real disaster. That, that's the real uh, perdition. That, that's, that's the real loss. So uh, the key to everything is connection. The key to everything is, is staying involved, staying affiliated, with people you care about, who care about you, uh, with institutions, um, and and with, of course, that dog. <laughs> that dog, that's right. Well, and I love how your your twelfth grade uh, teacher is was you know not just setting you up for success or failure, but inviting you into the game. Yes, right. That was yes. your entree into the game, which has served as such a, a keystone for your career. I, that is a, a really beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the other side of connection? Because, you know, we get a, an awful lot of uh, feedback from folks around overwhelm related to social media and self-esteem and the judgment that comes from social media and uh, ADHD and fear of missing out, right? Uh, and and how it's, e- it's so easy for those of us with ADHD to internalize strong emotional signals and uh what's your what's your take on a, a healthy relationship with social media my kids are now 29 26 and 23 and they're they're good examples of using it uh, in a good way they all use it and they use it to good effect they're all i don't even know what instagram is but they're all on instagram <laughs> and they all uh, they're all on all of them and they mm-hmm. you know and they and they use it to advantage so they and 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 I and I see how they use it and they use it well so they use it to stay in touch with people to update people but they're not using it you know incessantly and they're not using it to out people and hurt people and one up people and and all that kind of thing they're using it to to stay in contact. And as a result, they stay in contact with a much wider group of people than they otherwise could. And I think that's the advantage of it. Now, I don't even know how to do Twitter. I have someone who does it for me because uh, I'm told I should. But I, and I don't know how to do Facebook. And I have someone who does it for me because I'm told I should. But I, I literally don't know how to do it. And, and people send me messages. And same with LinkedIn. I get these messages and I, I say, please, please email me because I do know how to do that. So you know, I, sh- I should learn. So I'm an example of someone who needs remediation. I, I, I need help. To, then I, you know, but, but I do see the damage that they can, that can be done 
the the cruelty the the uh, and by kids who who want to replace a real social life with a virtual social life mm-hmm. and you know it's such an invitation for kids who are shy who who just don't don't want to learn the skills you know of of interacting in person with other people and then you can do it virtually but it's such a it's such a fake uh, replacement and then and then you set yourself up to get hurt or to to hurt others it's a yeah. it's a it's a avenue for sadism you know uh, and um, and and really bad things happen so you know we have to watch out for well it. yeah it's that recipe for addiction right you brought up the the addiction oh, yeah, part that's absolutely. the thing that that absolutely. connects to me absolutely well, and I was just going to say, if it's making you feel bad, then don't be on it. You know, if, if you're if you're reading something and you're feeling that that fear of missing out or you're feeling bad about yourself. Well, it's yeah. a funny thing, because I, I noticed when I was deeply into social media. Right. And and not even as a kid. I mean, like, you know, last year, uh, I, I didn't know that it was making me feel bad. Right. Do you know, you, it's it's often and I'm, I'm kind of following along the, the chat a little bit in our, uh, our live stream that, you know, you see this comment that, you know, I stepped back from Facebook almost unintentionally and I feel so much better. Right. The implication is I didn't know that it was causing me causing me grief until I stepped away. Right. 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 Uh, that, right. That's an interesting sort of symptom of the the sort of addiction pullback. And that's a very acute observation. I mean, astute observation. That that's uh, when you take it away. How do you feel? And and oftentimes when you take it away, you know, if you do a screen cleanse, you know, you'll mm-hmm. you'll feel kind of freer, more clear headed, um, uh, you know, and and um, and particularly for those of us with ADD, we can get, if not addicted, at least habituated. Uh, without even knowing it, and and we, we can spend a lot of time doing what I call screen sucking, and and it can become like this this habit that that drains us of our precious mental energy, you know, uh, without our intending it to screen sucking. That's that's as gross as it sounds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though, <laughs> and all of a sudden an hour's gone by. That's right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, here you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. We have some really interesting questions. Are you willing to to of answer course. some of them? All right, Pete, you have the you have All the right. radio voice. I have to the do list, this. and the, and and here we go. Uh, number one uh, from our list. These come from our listeners, and I, I should say, shout out to our Discord community. We have a Discord community around the ADHD podcast that is enormously healthy. And if there is ever a comment that screen sucking seems furthest from, it is our Discord community. They're amazing. And here are some of these questions. Number one: Is there a specific type of therapy style that you've seen to be more effective in assisting those with ADHD to help boost their self-esteem. My therapist is a big believer in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, for transforming perpetual negative thinking into a more positive mindset. As someone who is diagnosed with depression and anxiety, as well as ADHD, I find it effectively difficult to even recognize the negative thought pattern when it presents itself, let alone be able to make a conscious effort to stop in the moment and attempt to change that thinking. I'm a big believer in whatever works. And so if you think CBT is what works for you, then fine, CBT. Um, 
usually it's the relationship between the therapist and the client that that makes the difference and the technique is sort of secondary uh so if if you have a relationship with the therapist that that you really you know you find useful you could be playing ping pong together and and it'll it'll be productive uh so but if you find that cbt um you know is what works for you great uh in general for building self esteem the thing that that i found works best is if you can if you can set someone up to make progress at some task that's meaningful that matters to them so it's got to be meaningful and it's got to matter to them and uh, the title of my next book is find the right difficult and that's really what that's all about so find the right difficult and and um, uh, find a creative outlet that's meaningful that matters to you and if you pursue like for me it's writing like i discovered it in 12th grade so if you find the right difficult and then pursue it your self esteem will grow because you're making progress at something that matters to you uh that's difficult that's challenging and that automatically grows self esteem because you you know you're making again you're making progress at something that is challenging that matters to you and and um and that's so you got to feel good about that mm-hmm. you know and and um uh and and if you can find a therapist who can um uh, create the circumstances under which you'll do that, whatever technique he or she might be using, then you will grow self-esteem. Uh, and uh, it, it could be a coach. You know, that's what coaches do, sports coaches. Uh, it could be a writing coach, could be a, a drama coach, could be an ADD coach, you know. Uh, uh, so it, it, it usually comes back to the relationship, not the technique. I... Love that. I mean, I, that's the first time I've ever heard that. And I'm so glad you bring that up, that it really is the relationship that's most important. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, people write about the techniques and they argue about techniques and they research techniques. But like I say, it, it, it most of the time, it's the relationship. And, and like I say, you could be playing ping pong. I mean, you know, you, you could be taking a walk on the beach. I mean, call, then you could call it beach therapy. But it, but it really is the relationship. And, uh, uh, and that's what inspires people. That's what, you know, people, what you remember is the relationship. You don't remember the technique. And um, the technique is just uh, an excuse to be together. Uh, you know, it supplies the words that you're going to exchange, but it's the relationship that is the motivation, the inspiration, the, you know, the fuel, if you will, uh, that leads to the change. Next question. You know how you can feel really insecure about a weakness and you try to hide it or make up for it? Then someone comes along and notices your weakness and they might judge you for it, put it, put you in a box where you feel you can't grow out of the weakness in their eyes, tease you about it, etc. This thing truly is a weakness of yours. You already feel rotten about it. Now you have all the pressure and extra hurt of being exposed and judged. They've reinforced all of the fears that feed your insecurity. 
how do you deal? What are some ways, some techniques that keep us from crippling, uh, from having our sense of self-worth and future growth crippled in this kind of exchange? And as a caveat says, also, could you talk about self-esteem and emotional dysregulational tango? <laughs> I don't know what emotional dysregulation tango means, but I love okay. the phrase. It, it, <laughs> sounds, it sounds uh, like you're... you're bouncing all over the place but you know the having someone expose a weakness and tease you about it you know that that's called sadism and uh that's called social cruelty and it it should be as unacceptable as racism or sexism or any other form of social cruelty it, it person should be called out and you know it should be unacceptable now if it happens to you uh, again, never worry alone. Talk to somebody about it. You know, it, it's we all have weaknesses. Goodness knows there's not a person on the planet Earth who doesn't have a weakness. And it can be uh, exposed. You know, some people are surgically adept at exposing other people's weaknesses. People with borderline personality disorder are particularly good at doing this. And um, <laughs> that's why they're hard to be, do therapy with because you get yourself undressed and, and humiliated on a regular basis. But, um, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, it, I think it's, you can feel better if you simply go into every day knowing that you're human, that you have weaknesses. Um, and that if someone comes along and exposes one of them, you can say, yep, you know, uh, you got me, I'm overweight, or yep, you got me, I don't know the capital of Germany, or yep, you got me, I'm bad at math. Um, if you want to come back, you could say, are, are you bad at anything? Uh, maybe you're perfect. Well, my hat's off to you, you know, and uh, uh, and just accept it. There's no, absolutely no shame. In fact, I think there's a lot of pride in acknowledging, accepting uh, a weakness. And, uh, uh, you know, I think you suddenly you've gone from feeling weak to feeling strong because you've said, yes, there, there is a, a weakness there. Yes, there's something that I could work on there, but, but I'm strong enough to admit it. And suddenly, suddenly you're strong. Suddenly you're the stronger person. And the one who's poking fun at you is suddenly exposed as the person who has the problem. We've got, uh, we've got a career-related question here. Let's say you have a career opportunity that deep down you know you're prepared for, and you're well deserved, it's well-deserved recognition for what you've accomplished at work. You're excited for new challenges it will bring. And yet, most of the time you feel like you're hardly capable of getting out of the house with your pants on. How do you reconcile these feelings? It's less of an imposter syndrome thing and more of what acknowledging and compensating for known weaknesses without letting them overwhelm you. You, you just want to lead with your, lead with your strong side. Uh, we all have self-doubts. And, and, you know, you, you can't excise those. But you want to lead with your strong side. So you go to your job interview with the knowing full well that you're qualified for it. And during the interview, that's what you talk about. Uh, you don't say, but I should hasten to add that I'm actually inept. 
<laughs> also, I'm literally not wearing pants right now. Yeah, yeah, I've hidden <laughs> my pants behind because I forgot to put them on, you know, and, and you, I'm half nude. And uh, so, you know, so you, you, you don't have to be uh, completely honest. In fact, it's a bad idea to be because uh, your self-assessment is uh, almost certainly inaccurate. Uh, particularly if you have ADHD, we we tend to assess ourselves in a very uh, inaccurate way. We way over value, way way overweight our weaknesses, and way under significantly underweight our strengths. So go to your job interview, uh, talk from strength, talk about your your capabilities. And uh, don't bring up your self-doubts. You know, there's no reason to bring those up. Now, if he if he asks you, what are you bad at? You can say, I'm not real good at punctuality. Or uh, I'm not real good at, uh, you know, kissing ass. Well, you don't have to say that. But, you know, playing <laughs> golf. You know, uh, you, know you, you know, you can add, throw in a few things. But don't make it a long list. Don't, don't, don't gush with your weaknesses. Pick a couple, but don't make it a long list. So I just want to share, I'm going to do the the yeah. nice stuff, Pete. You, you're ahead. great at the questions. <laughs> Absolutely great at the questions, Pete. <laughs> so this came from one of our Patreon members. And uh, he said, this isn't a question, but if you could pass this along, my thanks to Dr. Hollowell. It was, a, it was his brilliant book, Driven to Distraction, that convinced me to seek out a specialist and get evaluated for ADHD. It really changed my life. Oh, thank you so much. Very sweet. I- Really glad to hear that. Uh, another very nice thing. Um, I've really benefited from listening to him talk about his experiences and the way he communicates with other experts. He demonstrates grace, humility, and respect to everyone he speaks to. I loved his intro for the last ADHD online conference where he showed his own ADHD during the video. Such a lovely man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a funny thing, uh, Ned, because it it feels like, you know, you mentioned vulnerability earlier, that vulnerability seems to be currency of the kingdom right now, uh, that that I, I think we learn so much more from one another when we allow ourselves to be authentic. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. there's a lot I, of that. I can't, I can't not do it. So it's right. Right. Really <laughs> that's kind of a benefit, right? <laughs> right? The culture has caught up to you, right? <laughs> right. Thank God it's in vogue. <laughs> uh, we, we have a number of research-oriented folks uh, in the uh, group, and they have we, we have one question representative of that. It would be interesting to hear Dr. Hallowell's thoughts on what gaps currently exist in ADHD literature. Uh, what do you think needs to be more exposed? And, and I think this also comes uh, on the heels of another question around, uh, you know, the resources that exist for women in ADHD. Where are the resources that exist for men in ADHD? Quote, the men need their own book, too. And so <laughs> then we have this question, you know, what are the gaps in your view that exist in the ADHD literature? Well, I, I think I think men have been pretty well addressed. I, I think the the big uh, area that we need more on is the non medication treatments. You know, the the uh, uh, the nutrition, the meditation. We we have we have plenty of stuff. And John, my friend John Rady's great book on exercise in the brain. Uh, I think we're going to have more coming down the pike on uh, brain games, uh, devices. Uh, I, I know the attentive system 
is ready to be released. It just needs a little bit more research to get the FDA approval. I think the future lies in non-medication treatments. Now, I say that as someone who prescribes medication regularly, so I'm not in any way opposed to medication, but I think the, the future will lie in, in more uh, non-medication treatments. We do have a good armamentarium now with coaching, nutrition, meditation, exercise, um, but I think more, more will be coming, and I, I think that's really exciting. I think we're going to have ways of training the brain. And, and then uh, I think uh, the, the, the big need is, is in breaking down stigma and uh, ignorance, you know. And uh, uh, Tim Armstrong and his wife Nancy are putting up the funding to make a, a, um, a documentary uh, based on my strength-based approach. And, and that's oh, in the works right now. And, that's fantastic. Yeah. I hope that that takes... Uh, it, it, well, I'm sure it will be a very different approach than the Netflix documentary that's on oh, there right God, now. Oh, God, yes. yes. It'll be a very different approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very different approach. Yeah. 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 And, and hopefully that'll yeah. be out, they, they think, January of 2021. So That's great. Uh, and what's the book you're working on right now? It's called uh, Find the Right Difficult and okay. How to Make ADHD Work for You, Not Against You. And Love and it. when yeah. can I read it? Well, that that... It's done, but it takes the oh. publisher a long time, so that won't be until November 2020. November of 2020. I know, I know, Pete. It's ridiculous how long it takes them, but uh, that's that's. Uh, I I, I uh, wish I could promise you it sooner. Maybe I'll 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 tell them people would like it sooner. See. Release See, windows right. are I finished disastrous. It, so, you know, it's up to them. <laughs> you did your part, right? Yep. And you have a biography too, right? Is my that memoir, your most recent book? Memoir, yeah, yeah, your that, memoir. Yeah. Because I come from a crazy family. The, the yes. making of a psychiatrist. It's really, it's my best book. So I hope your listeners will buy it. It's Because I Come from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. It, it really is my best book. It's, it's, it's not, there's no advice in it. It's just stories and stories yeah. of my childhood and then stories of my early training in psychiatry and I'm very proud of it. It's my best writing, and, and um, uh, I, I think I can. It, it's not a pot boiler, but it's a. It is a page turner. And oh, that's exciting! Uh, I saw that. I saw a review that was saying that you knew at nine years nine years old you were meant to be a psychiatrist. Yeah, I, a little voice came to me and said you should be a psychiatrist. Probably because I was surrounded by so much craziness, you know. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Uh huh. But I, I had a chaotic but uh, oddly happy childhood you know and uh, um i loved my family but they were the wasp triad of alcoholism mental illness and politeness that that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> wow well thank you so so much for taking the time yeah. to be with us i appreciate it pete appreciates it i know our audience does and the adhd community truly fantastic well it's really my pleasure and thank you for what you do thank you for bringing this podcast to people and uh, really a pleasure for me to be with you well we are just delighted to be uh even near your orbit uh net hollow thank you so (laughs) much thank you everybody for downloading and listening to this show we certainly appreciate your time and your attention on behalf of nikki kinzer and Dr. Ned Hollowell. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast.